What's good, everybody? This is Abstract Dynasty, the show where we use stats, theory, and experience to challenge consensus, unearth value, and hone our craft as dynasty players. I'm AJ, coming at you with a quick hitter, breaking down a few of these final cuts and headlines from the end of August. Got a decent amount to get into, but before I do, if you enjoyed, don't forget to like and share the show. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at Abstract Dynasty. But anyway, let's talk shop. So, the Patriots released quarterback Cam Newton while trimming down the final cuts for the 53-man roster. Shot heard round the football world. Extremely unexpected. Uh, Cam and the Patriots last year wasn't a very good showing. Them drafting Mac Jones at 15th overall in the draft. You obviously knew that Cam Newton wasn't going to be the future piece and that Mac was going to be. It was just a question of you know when that time would come. And for them to outright cut him, was extremely surprising. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Pats ate around three and a half million to do so. He was signed on for that much guaranteed money this year to be with the Patriots. So that's an absolutely affordable contract. They could have rostered him as a backup. They might've asked Cam or Cam might've asked for his release and they would have granted that. Yeah, definitely did not see this coming. As clear a sign as you could possibly make that Mac Jones is going to be the starter for the Patriots. Um, now, as far as the fallout for Cam, man, this sucks. Uh, unfortunately, this late in the year, you're lo- you're just hoping to catch on with somebody. There's really not a lot of opportunities at a starter position in the league right now. I mean, maybe Houston. The Texans are talking about keeping Deshaun Watson on the active roster, but a healthy scratch every week. And there's absolutely nothing special about Tyrod Taylor that should be preventing the Texans from not reaching out to Cam, see what he can do. Otherwise, it's looking kind of grim. Uh, he's still worth a roster spot in Superflex Leagues for a little while longer just to see if he latches on to somewhere. Uh, there's rumors that maybe he could rejoin Ron Rivera over in wa- with the Washington football team. That's a possibility. I doubt he'd be able to challenge Ryan Fitzpatrick for the starting role, but otherwise, it's looking grim for, for Super Cam. He's unfortunately been unable to take that next step as a pocket passer and as his age and mileage and wear and tear have caught up with him, he's started to lose a little bit of that rushing threat that made him the X factor he was in years past can still do some decent short yardage work like at the goal line or on third and short. He's definitely useful there. So I'm not kicking cam to the curb just yet. Let's see what happens. Uh, But anybody that was remotely counting on cam for a few spot starts early in the week, you're going to have to, pivot into something else. Uh, But the big winner, obviously, is Mac Jones. Big stonks. Anybody that's drafted him in a startup, you know, eighth round or later, arguably even seventh round is a discount now, uh, or in your rookie draft, if you got him towards the back end of the first, take a victory lap. This is why positional value matters. Uh, You can make cases for players like Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts over a quarterback, but in a super flex league, a starting quarterback has just such a high floor baseline value that sometimes it's worthwhile to just take a chance on the position itself rather than the situation around it. If you're wondering, I would take Mac over like uh, Devontae Smith from the same class. Kyle Pitts would be a tough one, and that would depend on format, whether or not you're playing tight end premium. But I fully expect Mac to settle in around that sixth round tier, uh, close to where Baker and Tua are, because that's what you're getting right now. A starting quarterback 
doesn't blow you away with upside right now, but it's extremely accurate, high floor. I might still take Baker and Tua over Mac just because I kind of like their weapons better and they're already, you know, firmly entrenched. And, you know, looking at Mac Jones's weapons, they really don't excite you that much. But to his credit, has been rock steady reportedly every step of the way in the offseason, not just in the live preseason games, but in practice every day and in the joint practices that nobody really gets to see. We only get blurbs about. He straight up outplayed Cam Newton this preseason. And there's a reason why the Patriots made this decision. The fact that they were willing to at least offer Cam a release or outright just cut him because they wanted to should demonstrate how much confidence they have in this guy just knowing Bill Belichick and the Patriots, he's probably just a better stylistic fit for what the Patriots like to do, which is the short, high percentage, live in the quick game kind of stuff that Tom Brady used to do. While Cam had his strengths in other areas, the short passing game and the just automatic churn out, good decision, accurate ball on time stuff just was not his game. Uh, so I think even just from a comfort level, the Patriots were really drawn to Mac for that reason. Regardless of what you think of him, you have to pay attention to the moves and the draft capital and the trajectory that he is on right now. You're hoping for some mid-QB2 numbers and take this rookie season in stride. While I'm not totally enticed by all of the weapons that the Patriots have to offer, despite all of the money they spent to free agency, I think the clearest winner for them is Jacoby Myers, second-year wide receiver out of NC State. This guy is basically the new Julian Edelman. He's an undrafted wide receiver with a quarterback background. Maybe you've heard his name kicking around a little bit even before last year on the practice squad and you've seen him in preseason games. Really came into his own by about week seven last year after injuries to Julian Edelman himself as well as Nikhil Harry opened up some snaps for him. And he played pretty well. I liked him decently in the very late rounds and startups and even in redraft, but I wasn't exactly gushing over him with how run heavy the Pats looked to be. And you didn't know if Cam Newton was going to be the quarterback. Honestly, I'm glad I went back and looked at Jacoby Myers because I thought he was a strictly slot wide receiver because he's kind of slight and played a lot of time in the slot uh, in Edelman's absence. Actually, Turns out he was more than that. He played both inside and outside last year, a healthy amount, actually finished the year from week seven to the end of the season with 700 yards in just 11 games on 80 targets. That was good for wide receiver 22 in full PPR leagues. Now, 22 is really nothing to go crazy over, but two main things is that he managed that while averaging over 12 yards per completion. So he was getting big targets down the field and was producing after the catch. And with zero touchdowns, no scoring touchdowns inflated his final number. And zero is a beautiful number to see because it can only go up from there. Uh, He should shine with Mac Jones, a quarterback, and should definitely be one of the primary chain movers in this offense. Probably can be used in the red zone and is listed as starting outside wide receiver opposite Nelson Aguilar for good measure. While I was checking out the depth chart on our lads, they actually have him as of August 29th also listed as a running back on the depth chart itself. I don't know if this is like a Patriots messing with you thing. I don't know if it was an hour lads oversight, but definitely something to double check on. Cause you know, if maybe he's a candidate to get something out of the backfield, that's just another notch in, you know, a couple of manufactured touches for a, a guy in an offense where nothing is really settled. Almost every major contributing skill position player on this team is new. But the point being, I like him the best of all the Pats wide receivers and tight ends. 
and there's room for him to grow based on the already good production that he had in a worse situation. Now, where I would take Jacoby Myers, uh, pretty much anywhere after that eighth round, ninth round, you can kind of make a case for him. Uh, He's got it in his range of outcomes to be the number one target. Don't really expect him to be a huge uh, red zone threat, but Edelman was used fairly well in the red zone uh, and being able to play inside outside. Yeah, once those wide receiver tiers start to thin out and the Robert Woods and the big sexy year one, year two players start to fly off the board, I, I kind of like Jacoby Myers there. I, he's going to be supremely undervalued and is going to surprise people. As far as the running backs, what Max starting for them does, you can consider it a small win, a small bump. I kind of more consider it a wash for Damian Harrison, Ramondre Stevenson. While no Cam Newton at the goal line theoretically means that the quarterback won't be vulturing goal line touchdowns quite as often, but by the same token, no Cam Newton also means that the running backs lose that extra gap advantage that comes with having a mobile quarterback. And if we're really being honest, no Mac Jones is not a exciting rushing threat, but if they're inside the five, he can absolutely scramble it in. There's tons of quarterbacks that do that, including Tom Brady himself but they won't be running QB powers with him. I can almost guarantee. So we'll, we'll call it relatively status quo for the top running backs on the squad. Actually what Mac Jones's presence does more for anybody else on the, in the running back group is the receiving backs, James white and JJ Taylor. Uh, James white's been left for dead ever since Tom Brady left. He just didn't have the same target volume that he was used to seeing in such a pass first offense. Will really went run heavy. Uh, in Brady's absence, but is clearly the best receiving back on this team for my money. Once upon a time was somewhat of a PPR mainstay in the Brady days and really could be a sneaky ad if this offense takes on more of their former identity now that they have a more disciplined, accurate signal caller under center. Uh, I would also mention J.J. Taylor is somewhat on the radar. Taylor would be the immediate replacement to White. Uh, if he was to get injured or just doesn't play well, because he's also very shifty in his own right, kind of like white, but even smaller, maybe some very, very late PPR value at the running back position that should cost you almost nothing. And I would definitely be checking waivers and sending out feelers for either of those two guys at the end of their benches. So that's it for the running backs, except for one former Patriots running back that is on the move. I know it happened last week, but I didn't yet talk about it. Sony Michelle, former first-round pick of the Patriots, traded to the Los Angeles Rams. In the wake of the Cam Akers season-ending injury, as well as Daryl Henderson's own perennial injury, Pats traded Michelle for what's essentially a fourth-round pick, which, again, some portion of the Rams, whether it's just McVay or the front office or the owner or some combination of all three, truly believe that the running back is what puts this offense to the next level. Whether or not that's true or not, I don't know, but they just keep spending draft capital, and a fourth rounder is nothing to scoff at for a running back going into a backfield as unsettled as this one is right now. And the Rams subsequently cut Xavier Jones as well as Otis Anderson. All you need to surmise about how Michelle is going to be used in this offense. Most likely on early downs and in the red zone, he's a lot thicker than Daryl Henderson. He's more built for that, but... Michelle has also showed some receiving chops as of late. In his college career, he was used as the receiver. He was the lightning to Nick Chubb's thunder at Georgia. When he got drafted in New England, he really didn't get 
any work in the receiving game at all his first three years. Then dealt with subsequent knee injuries and other issues. And late last year, finally came back and started to show a little bit of receiving chops and showed more of that in the preseason too. So it's really nice to see that vindication of, okay, we thought this guy could do this as a pass catcher and we're seeing it now, uh, albeit late. And if it's starting to come on late in his career with a new team, with nothing but opportunity in front of him, I like his chances to be somewhat of a makeshift uh, flex option. So when I say flex option, that's usually sixth round or after. Uh, Daryl Henderson is already around a seventh rounder-ish, depending on your format. And I would expect Sony could settle as high as that, if I'm being honest. But he's probably going to be the back to own, not just for the value, but because I don't believe... Henderson is going to be the guy that runs away with the lion's share of these touches. And I don't think any of us really believed Daryl Henderson was going to be that, even when we were talking about the other guys like Xavier Jones. So yeah, again, another sneaky guy you could probably grab a little late. Anything after that seventh round is really a free-for-all for running backs because the cliff is just so steep. So let the wide receiver value sort out, but be on Sony watch, be on Daryl Henderson watch. Uh, and I do believe that he's going to be a regular contributor for the Rams once up to speed with the offense. You know, it's not all good news on the running back front. J.K. Dobbins in the final preseason game tore his ACL and LCL season ending injury. Uh, it wasn't a pretty injury to watch live. It looked like he at least hyperextended his knee. But the point being, you knew the prognosis was going to be grim just by watching it. Really unfortunate for Dobbins, who we expected to lead the Baltimore Ravens in carries this year. Now, the issue is that tearing the LCL in addition to the ACL is relatively uncommon from, from my understanding and is threatening his 2022 prospect of availability already, if we're being honest. So by lows, beware. There's significant risk here. This isn't just a clean ACL. There's additional damage. And anytime there's additional damage, you run the risk of, you know, the knee not being the same after that. And JK, in addition to Cam Akers and Travis Etienne, is slowly starting to thin what has been the deepest running back class in recent memory. Still plenty of guys, but, you know, when every year we sit here and we say, man, look at this crop. Who's going to bust? A couple guys bust every year. And obviously it's not their fault that they're getting hurt, but this is why you always want options. If you can, you want to store as many options as possible uh, so that news like this doesn't derail your entire season. Wish J.K. Dobbins a speedy recovery. Look forward to seeing him back in 2022. Now, going forward, Gus Edwards is the next man up in the Baltimore backfield. We already expected him to get a healthy workload after signing the contract as an ERFA with the Ravens this offseason, but is now the presumable lead back. Probably going to be the first in on early downs, going to be the favorite in the red zone. I was wondering whether or not the Ravens would bring in another running back, maybe one with receiving upside. Mark Ingram is one that I was earmarking just because he would cost almost nothing and knows the offense already. As of this recording, that hasn't happened. Tyson or Tyson, I'm going to go with Tyson. Tyson Williams, T-Y apostrophe S-O-N, is the number two running back by all accounts. Uh, he, he made a pass final cuts. Justice Hill is dealing with an injury and the beat writers are saying that he is the number two. Now, Gus Edwards is already starting to creep up draft draft boards. I have a hard time spending like a six round pick on him 
because that's in that Chris Carson area, like James Robinson. Not only is this Ravens backfield still likely split three ways, but now there's no clear receiving back. That was one of the major things where I thought J.K. Dobbins could separate himself a little easier in this offense as a receiver. Gus doesn't really profile as that. I don't know a ton about Tyson Williams, um, but I'm not sure he is the receiving type either. And if we're being honest, like what kind of player Gus is, he's a fine player, but he's a bowling ball type of replacement running back that honestly you're shooting for touchdowns for. He's not going to be a league winner in the sense that he's going to have top 10 upside. I don't think that's realistic unless you're going to get like a extremely touchdown heavy LeGarrette Blunt with the Patriots type of season where he had like 15 touchdowns or something. And I pretty much still have most of my B minus tier running backs over over Gus Edwards. Uh, if you want to know who those are, go listen to my running back tiers episode. But, you know, still worth taking a shot on. Still going to be heavily involved. This is a top offense with Lamar Jackson. Good defense. They're always in scoring position. He's still worth putting on the short list as you're approaching the seventh round cliff for running backs. Tyson would obviously, obviously be even lower. Maybe somewhere in double digits, you could pick him up maybe as a dart throw running back. Next one, Minnesota Vikings ship a fourth round pick for Jets tight end Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon is an old hype bunny tight end from years ago that just never panned out, struggled with drops and repeated injuries, was reportedly not learning the playbook in in the Jets. I mean, honestly, if you're not getting playing time from the Jets, there's a problem there. And the new regime came in, no allegiance to him, ended up sending him to, to Minnesota. Now, when this news broke, I wasn't really looking to scoop Herndon for really any circumstance, but what what worried me is that I figured this might have some implications on Irv Smith Jr.'s injury, where he tore his meniscus. It was originally reported that it was a four to eight week timetable. Meniscus tears can be varying severities, and a move like this, a fourth round pick right before the season, usually doesn't mean something good when it's a, when there's an injury involved, and sure enough... Irv Smith Jr. season is likely over. It's going to be out for several months. So Chris Erndon, as depressing as it may sound, might be the best receiving tight end option in Minnesota for what it's worth. I don't know how much that's going to actually turn into fantasy value because it's still predominantly a run-first offense. And the Vikings themselves were dead last in 11 personnel packages, which is three wide receiver sets. So I'm not getting all hot and bothered about D.D. Westbrook or Emir Smith-Marset. Maybe speculative ads just because you don't know. But uh, I think this just means the sliver that Irv Smith was going to get might just effectively be a tiny, tiny bump to Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. Not a ton actionable here. But Herndon, I guess, is an okay dart throw. I've just seen enough of him where he's just not been very inspiring. But he's athletic and he's fast. So you could do worse at the back of drafts or off the waivers. As far as the Jets, the Jets also cut undrafted tight end Kenny Yeboah, which leaves Tyler Croft and Trayvon Wesco in some presumed semblance of order on the Jets depth chart. Tyler Croft was the guy with the gaudy stat line in preseason, scored two touchdowns with Zach Wilson, who looks legit, by the way. Uh, This is only notable because of the way Zach Wilson looks. He seems to be for real and Hitching a dart throw tight end to the wagon of an up-and-coming quarterback is at least a half-baked idea. So honestly, I would probably roster one of those random dudes that I did before uh, than I did Chris Herndon. 
And the last piece of minor news is the Atlanta Falcons and the New York Giants have trimmed down their backfields. Two backfields I was watching just because a lot was unsettled there. Uh, for Atlanta, they cut Javian Hawkins, Caleb Huntley, and Deonta Foreman, which leaves Mike Davis somehow as the unquestioned running back one for the Atlanta Falcons. Cordero Patterson's sort of kicking around back there, but I'm not really expecting a lot from him for fantasy purposes. And as of right now, they're only carrying three running backs. So it's going to be a lot of work for Mike Davis. And for the New York Giants, you're saying, you know, what's there to second guess about it? Saquon. Well, they brought in five backs in the offseason between the draft and free agency. They've since cut Reichwell Armstead a while back, but they've also just parted with Corey Clement and Sandro Platzgummer at final cuts, which leaves Devontae Booker and Gary Brightwell as the backup options for Saquon Barkley. This is only notable because of if or when Saquon is limited in the early season. Giants want to bring him on slow. There's rumblings of a week three return for him. So he may not even be in for week one. So adjust accordingly if you have room for a handcuff in this specific instance. Might be okay rostering one of those two guys. But once Saquon's back on the field, it's going to be Saquon. As long as he's good to go, he's going to gobble up all the touches. So this is a short-term investment at best. That'll wrap things up for this quick hitter. And until next time, I'm out. Keep grinding.